ice cream was discovered in China. That's for real? That's for real, for real. Look it up, guys. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Okay, this is the fourth special compilation episode from season two. And this time we're listening to how all 30 of the guests from the season answered the question, what is your favorite China-related fact? So if you want to impress your friends with deep, deep knowledge about vibrating peppercorns, black hair dye, and urinating pandas, you're in the right place. Sean Harmon, the beer company CEO from episode 9. My favorite China-related fact. There's so many. The easiest thing is to do with with the scale of the country. Mm. This is maybe less true today after COVID, but a few years ago, China's economy was growing at the pace of one Australian economy every year. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's always interesting when you make that like-for-like like comparison, yeah, you know, because your does. mind can't really understand the scale. Yeah, what does GDP growth mean? No, exactly. It means one new Australia. Yeah, it's a bit like when they say, oh, this is like five football fields. Yeah, yeah. You, you can conceptualize kind of, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, exactly. Australia size. <laughs> Vittorio Francese, the lawyer from episode 27. So I was in a compound in Beijing, and I realized that in that compound there must have been more people than in my hometown related to the amount of people that can be in a compound or a, a district of a big city like Beijing or Shanghai. My hometown is called Trani. It's on the east coast of Puglia, so it's a very nice old town with a cathedral on the sea, but no more than 50,000 people. Uh, so kind of hard for me to imagine the amount of people I would have faced here. Catherine Wong, the Peruvian healer from episode four. There is a temple of my ancestors somewhere in Guantong. So for me, that was very interesting. And it's specifically your clan? I, I believe so. I believe Wong, they all come only from one line. Michelle Chu, the improvisational comedian from episode 20. I think the most impressive fact about China is that China is colorful enough and is big enough. For example, Guangdong province and the Mongolia. Uh, in the Mongolia, right? Yeah, in the mm. Mongolia. So one is very cold, like outside the Great War. <laughs> but in Guangdong province, lifestyle is quite different. Zhang Zhiyuan, the humanities professor from episode 3. The variety in China is little, because I know it is diverse. But compared to the size of continental Europe, it should be as diverse, but the truth is not. Yeah. Björn Dahlman, the Swedish clown from episode 17. The fact that you can walk in a park and you meet old men and women who actually has amazing Kung Fu skills. I have this 70-something-year-old teacher in Shanghai. He was teaching me spear fighting, this long three-meter spear, and he showed me and a bunch of other 30-something guys, okay, so this is how you hold the spear in one hand. And four of us, we couldn't lift the spear, it was too heavy. And this teacher, without an effort, just takes it up with one hand, holds the very edge of it, and balances it perfectly. 
and you see these things happening all the time and it's like yes crouching tiger hidden dragon fairy tale china is still alive <laughs> jamie barris the street food expert from episode two so this one's about Sichuan peppercorn. Sichuan peppercorn actually gives you paresthesia in your mouth. So it feels like your tongue and your lips are vibrating, which is cool in and of itself. But they've actually done studies to see at what frequency it's vibrating. And it turns out it's 50 hertz, which is the same frequency as the Shanghai power grid. Nonolo Bengu, the African community organizer from episode 14. Ice cream was discovered in China, what? but perfected by the Italians. Wow, that's that's for real? That's for real, for real. Look it up, guys. Seth Harvey, the education coach from episode 19. The sport of football, soccer, was actually invented in China. England takes credit for it, but it actually predates England, and football is a Chinese sport. That's a good one. I think the English, we are the ones who invented the rules. So we like to invent rules and plant flags and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. AJ Jane, the car designer from episode 21. This one's interesting because it's uh, kind of related to India. By India banging into China, it means <laughs> all the water flows south. Ah. And all the rivers flow south. So uh, India's got plenty of land and arable land and rivers and fertile plains of the Ganges and what have you. And they've got the luxury of being vegetarians and, and living off the land. Whereas uh, China's got to, you know, find arable land. And only 2% of the world's arable land is consumed by 20% of the world's population. So that means uh, the Chinese people are super resourceful, whether they cut steps into mountains, they eat different things. And I think that is also what makes them intrinsically programmed for innovation. Mm. Survival is their innovation. Murray King, the public affairs leader from episode 29. The word Shanghai means up from the ocean. Shang means up yeah. and Hai means ocean. And I think many people use that name without ever stopping and thinking, why is it called Shanghai? So this is one big river delta. It's just silt deposit over hundreds and thousands of years. And we're about maybe a meter or less above sea level. So literally, this is a city which hasn't just risen vertically in the last 20 years as we see the beautiful skyline of Lujadzway. It's a physical creation that has risen up from the ocean it's still being created. If you've ever seen, as maybe when you land at Pudong Airport and looked out at that coastline, there's mudflats that just stretch out into infinity. And the water is a very brown color. It's silt coming down the Yangtze River and being deposited in the East China Sea. So Shanghai is continuing to be created. DJ B.O., the DJ from episode 23. Uh, in the 1930s, Shanghai was the fifth biggest city in the world. And if you were a foreign person in the concessions, the rules of China did not apply to you. 
Shanghai has a great history of jazz, opium, and whores, and I hope to be keeping up that tradition, if not specifically, at least in spirit. <laughs> you know, in America, you have what's called、uh, the old weird America, but Shanghai has an old weird past as well, and I hope to manifest that in what I do. Yovana Zhang, the handicraft designer from episode eight. Fascinating thing about China for me is.、Uh, The length of the history is that the guys didn't change even the, the writing since the ancient time. It's the persistence on Chinese way. It's fascinating for me. Cassandra Chen, the heavy metal bar owner from episode sixteen. I really admire the first、uh, empress in Tang Dynasty, which is the only empress in the Chinese history. Ah, Wu Zetian, right? Yes. Tell me why. She was fighting from the bottom to the top of her life, and run the country and make it strong. So, as a woman at that time, it's very impressive. Vladimir Jurovic, the brand naming expert from episode thirteen. I, I was reopening Sun Tzu Art of War. It's a teaching material for kings and lords. And when I was reading it, I was still getting a lot of ideas that are so contemporary. And、um, one of the principles was the Tao, for example, the ethics, the the road, the purpose. I was quite happy to see that Sun Tzu precept of like the best way to win a war and to build your team. Is to work on your DAO, which is, I think, part of what the brand do. So I was like, hmm, this fact of how much it applies to today's world, and it relates in a way to what I do. So I felt like this fact is still something that is very memorable for me. Nice,、mm. and I like it how you can distill three thousand years of Taoism into branding. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Jiyong, <laughs> the transgender teacher from episode thirty. It will be something that I've recently discovered is that in Fujian Province there is a rabbit deity that's dedicated to homosexuals, and I think that's amazing that in Chinese mythology that there is a deity that's actually dedicated to gay relations. <laughs> Why a rabbit? <laughs> I am not sure. <laughs> Casey Hall, the fashion journalist from episode twenty-two. Big numbers in China. I think as a Chinese language learner, I don't know whether you've had the same thing, but big numbers are the hardest thing for me. Yeah. The way that Chinese people organise big numbers is by tens of thousands, and then by hundreds of millions,、um, which is not a natural thing for an English speaker to be able to translate directly. So I will write down a number and have to put all the zeros and then count back and do a comma after every three zeros in order to be able to do it. And my Chinese friends do the same thing when、yes. they hear English big numbers, but they have to do a comma after every four zeros、yes. so that they can understand it. Louise Roy, the childbirth and lactation specialist from episode six. Male pandas can do a handstand and then pee, <laughs> so that they can mark trees higher. Can you imagine a panda doing a handstand at all, and then peeing, just so they can mark a tree higher? That's not in the guidebooks, is it? No. Dan Majid, the Tibetan social enterprise leader from episode ten. 
I would say my hometown. <laughs> mm. The whole area, the region is like very famous for white yaks.、Oh. Uh, so our yaks are all white, and no other Tibetans、uh, areas have that. <laughs> so sometimes they just try to. Take some white yaks to the areas. Like、uh, I've seen them. I <laughs> saw a white yak in northern Yunnan province. Yeah, but that was probably from your area. <laughs> probably.、Oh. Yes.、Yeah. Alex Shower, the clean energy entrepreneur from episode eleven. So my favorite China-related fact is actually something I learned when I went to Dali in Yunnan province, one of the most beautiful cities I've been to. I went there. And I took this overnight train from Kunming to Dali. It was a twelve-hour journey. I mean, it was you know we were going up mountains and down mountains and stopping and changing tracks. It felt like the most intense train ride I've ever been on. And then I get there, and they're like, "Oh, you you took the train?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Like, why didn't you just take the bus? They're like, "Oh, well, isn't the train isn't the train faster?"、I'm、like, no, the bus takes three hours, and you can be here in no time. And so, anyway, one of the most fascinating things is how the train can take twelve hours, but the bus can take three.、So. <laughs> Michael Kinsey, the fire engineer from episode twenty-five. So, my favourite China-related fact is to do with the Three Gorges Dam、oh, yeah. in Hubei Province.、Mm. It's a massive hydroelectric dam. It's the biggest in the world,、um, and it displaces large amounts of water. Um, and NASA have done a study、um, and demonstrated it displaces so much water that it actually slows the rotation of the Earth <laughs> by a few decimals of a microsecond.、Um, so it actually slows down time. What? I, I didn't believe this. I had to go and look it up, and on the NASA website, it's true. It's、uh, amazing. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember that Superman movie where he's he? Goes he goes around, around so、way. fast, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes around so fast, yes, yeah. And then he reverses time. I think it must be to do with that. He should have gone to Hubei, <laughs> you know. Douglas C, the island businessman from episode fifteen.、Uh, coming from Sinsa Island, one of my favorite facts is that Sinsa used to be part of Shanghai, and I think it's been seven or eight times now that Sinsa has applied to be part of Shanghai again. To return to the fold. <laughs> oh wait! So they are being quite open about wanting to leave Zhejiang Province. They apply to Beijing all、oh, the time. Right. Yeah. This is a kind of cross-provincial competition that the everyday person wouldn't really be aware of, right? Yeah. Zhejiang, which is a very strong and, and wealthy province, to get fifty percent of what Shanghai makes from the cargoes for all the shipments.、Mm. Because there are no deep ports in Shanghai, it's all the ones around, like on Shengsi Island. Well, they get transferred to smaller boats, which is what you guys see on Huangpu River. Right. So、yeah. the big ones come to your island, and then it gets—it's a, it's a transshipment port. I'm just one of many islands.、Mm. Salome Chen, the investor and developer from episode twenty-four. Jiangnan, which you refer to the Yangtze Delta region, it arouses this. Nostalgic feeling, yeah. So Jiangnan, what what is that area? Shanghai and maybe part of Zhejiang Province and the south part of Jiangsu Province, yeah. They are culturally, they are historically connected, aren't they? Yeah. Because we don't use really Jiangnan very often, do we? Or do you hear that a lot? Hmm. When we talk, when we speak, you don't use that much. But when you write,、mm. it's still very poetic. People use it a lot, a lot. Zhang Yuan, the performance art exhibitor from episode seven. In a way, our society is more like a performative society. 
if you really calm yourself down as as an observer or as someone outside, and then you you observe what is going on、uh, these days in China. It's a theater, particularly when you go outside of China, how they see you as a Chinese and how they see what is happening in China. Then you would feel much more about this. Wendy Saunders, the architect from episode twelve. I was convinced that Chinese people, their hair never goes grey. <laughs> After a while, I realised that actually everybody dyes their hair, and even the men and all the politicians and everybody, they all dye their hair black. Especially Espe- men. And the men, I mean, the women, okay, they dye their hair like already for ages. Everybody does it, but the men, and this this kind of fear of looking old, it was something that really. Surprised me so much because, on the other hand, in China they respect the old so much more than we do in the West. So I really can't understand that duality of it. I still don't understand it. Zhao Huiling, the Africa travel vlogger from episode twenty-eight. So my favorite thing about China is safety. Before moving back to Shanghai, I was living in New York. So coming back to Shanghai, going back home at any hour. Of the day I want, you know, it was such a luxury to me. That's right. Yeah, and it's funny because New York has improved. It used to be much yes. more dangerous, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. But yes. it's definitely still edgy. It definitely got its edge. <laughs> <Right> . Stefan Wimer, the head of consumer insights at L'Oreal, from episode one. I think my all-time favorite China-related、uh, piece of trivia is this foreign policy anecdote. That everybody knows. It's the story of、uh, the Chinese premier Zhu、uh, Enlai, the premier of German Mao.、Uh, this is the early 1970s when Nixon and Kissinger are engaging in direct talks with the PRC, and Zhu Enlai is asked by Kissinger to assess the impact of the French Revolution. And、uh, as the story goes,、uh, Premier Zhu Enlai responds, "It's too early to tell." <laughs> But what is interesting is what lies behind the story, because in China there's always layers to decode. Actually, one of the translators a few years ago, maybe three, four years ago, came out to say that this was a mistold story. What really took place, according to him, is that Prime Minister Zhu misunderstood the question, and rather than being asked. To give his point of view on the impact of the French Revolution,、uh, of those events of 1789, he thought he was being asked about the student protests that hit Paris in 1968. So you see, in this context, Joan Lai's answer was very sensible, taken out of its context with the years having polished、uh, the story into almost a myth. It, it's totally different. It, it became an example of the. Patient and far-sighted nature of Chinese leaders who think in increments of centuries. But in recalling the exchange, this one translator said there was a misunderstanding that was too delicious to invite correction. And as it happens, this example to me it reveals the difference between a story that is true and one that contains a good deal of truth. Crystal Mo, the fine dining expert from episode twenty-six. My favorite China-related fact is 
The longer you stay in China, the more you realize how little you know about China. Because you've been in China now how many years? Twenty-three or twenty-four. Oh, is that all? Yes. <laughs> and were you the kind of person who, at the beginning, you were the super expert and you thought that you knew everything, or did you always have that humility from the start? I never thought about how much I know or don't know. But when I first came to China, I thought that the U.S. was perfect. And so coming to China and hearing another perspective on the U.S., seeing global geopolitics from outside the U.S., was a very big aha moment. Yes, this is when American exceptionalism clashes with China exceptionalism. <laughs> Coco Santi, the drag performer from episode five. Um, I don't really have a China-related fact, only because here's the thing: the facts that I knew about China keep changing. <laughs> so, like, like sometimes I'll come here and I'll be like, "Oh, that's an interesting fact," and then I find out a new piece of information. I'm like, "What the hell? Yes. I, I learned it a different way. That's not, that doesn't work out at all for me." So, I don't have one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Joe McFarland, the product sourcing leader from episode 18. Feng Shui. So、um, we have to make sure that we get that right in the office. So everything's got to be facing south for the best position,、um, and it will keep evil away. In general, southern China seems to be more into feng shui than Shanghai and northern China, wouldn't you say? Or you would say no, differently? I, th- I, th- there's a, I know quite a fair few、oh. local friends who have moved apartments and they get the feng shui guy round to、uh, check it out. There you go. Before they move in,、oh. Oscar, have you not had your apartment feng shui? I have not. That would explain <laughs> why I've lost so much money <laughs> doing this bloody thing. <laughs> And there you have it. I hope that some of those facts resonated with you. For me, I couldn't help but think about what Murray King said about Shanghai being a low-lying metropolis, only slightly above sea level. That reminded me of the importance of the discussions that have been taking place over the last week about climate change and the rising sea levels. Since it's a fact that Shanghai means above the sea, it would be nice if we could keep it that way in the future, wouldn't it? Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Speaking of Shanghai, the temperature here has just dropped 10 degrees Celsius, and Mr. Fragile here has immediately caught a cold. So I'll keep this short and get back to my regime of herbal teas, so that I can be back again in a couple of weeks for the next compilation episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, hey, thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes,、yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>